Jane Andrews, where she is a senior lecturer, um, and also the director of teaching and philosophy with an education focus. Um, Lisa's written on knowledge and fiction, an area where we have a lot to talk about. Um, authorship and appropriation, and she's recently been elected a trustee of the British Society of Aesthetics. Welcome on board. Uh, speaking of which, I want to thank the British Society of Aesthetics for their ongoing support for this series, and the Institute of Philosophy as well, and let me pass it over to Lisa, who is going to try to convince us that pro wrestling could be art. All right, over to you. Thank you. Uh, well, thank, thank you for inviting me today, and thank you for uh, coming to hear this. So yeah, I'm here to talk about the aesthetics of pro wrestling, and to try and make a case for pro wrestling being art. So I'm therefore raising a fairly familiar question in philosophy of art, namely whether X is art, but for an X whose art status has not thus far been very widely considered. I actually haven't found any philosophical, probably philosophical discussions of it. <laughs> Before I actually begin, I just want to be clear on uh, what I mean by pro wrestling. So. I mean this kind of stuff, right? Um, so I noticed that whoever made the poster got it right. It was you know, the right kind of image. So yes, I'm talking about this kind of stuff, the popular brash form of performance or entertainment that's loved by millions of people around the world. So what I'm not talking about is amateur wrestling, which is the sort of properly competitive, unpaid, unmarketed uh, wrestling, such as that that you see in the Olympic Games in its Greco-Roman or freestyle, or that carried out competitively at collegiate level, um, primarily in the United States. So what I'm concerned with is this globally marketed spectator phenomenon of professional show wrestling. So the product that's most well known that you're familiar with if you know anything about this phenomenon at all is that of the WWE, whose logo is just here. So. The WWE used to be called the WWF until it lost that battle with the World Wildlife Fund over who gets to have that acronym, the PANDAS one. Um, so there are other promotions as well. There are, you know, many of them are American, but there are some global promotions that are non-American, like the New Japan Pro Wrestling, which is very popular. Um, I'm going to use the WWE's product as my paradigm uh, for this talk. I'm going to base my claims on that. It's the product that I'm most familiar with, and it's perhaps the biggest mainstream promotion. Uh, much of what I say should go for other promotions as well, but there might be small differences uh, between different traditions or promotions of wrestling in different countries. So what I'm going to say is based on the product that WWE puts out. Now, pro wrestling occupies something of a strange place in the landscape of appreciation. Um, serious sports fans shun it, citing its alleged fakeness as a reason for not engaging with it. It's been referred to as sideshow, lowbrow kid stuff, soap opera for men. Um, so how should we think of it? Pro wrestling institutions like the WWE self-identify with the label sports entertainment. And while the label of entertainment is uncontroversial, few people might think of pro wrestling as art. But there is a case to be made for its being more than mere entertainment. And a few appreciators have indeed claimed art status for it, both in the past and in the present day. 
Most notably, perhaps, Roland Barthes waxed lyrical about the cultural significance and grandeur of the phenomenon in his 1957 essay, The World of Wrestling, which is in his Mythologies collection. I'll be saying a bit more about what Bart had to say. More recently, others, including some wrestlers themselves and would-be critics of wrestling, have also highlighted its art nature. So there's a quote here from a former WWE wrestler, CM Punk, who identifies it not only as art, but as a peculiarly or particularly American form of art, um, like jazz and comic books. You know, it's, it's something that's emerged from American culture. Uh, as I say, Tim Kale, who I've quoted here, is a, I've described it as a would-be critic of uh, pro wrestling. Uh, he's a would-be critic because he's trying to establish wrestling as an art form, um, and be partly because he thinks it deserves proper criticism. So there's a comment from him there about how this thesis has been gathering momentum in recent years. So that's from an article he published on his uh, website in June of this year. And in the same month, the New York Times published this article and Opdoc, so a documentary uh, sort of film essay by Tim Grant, about the parallels between pro wrestling and opera. You know, from the title he uses here, skip the opera, go see some pro wrestling. Um, so this idea, the, the thesis that um, pro wrestling is art, is not a new thesis. But these are outlying voices and Thus far, there has not, as far as I'm aware, been any attention paid to wrestling from the standpoint of analytic philosophy of art. So I suppose I'm putting myself out there as the pioneer. <laughs> and, uh, and this is actually my first attempt at trying to capture what is art status worthy about wrestling. This is the first outing of this talk. And so I thank you again for being the audience for it, and I hope it's not just too nerdy. Um, what I want to do here is focus on a number of different aspects of this performance phenomenon and discuss how they have, in my view, clear aesthetic and or artistic properties that we find in other comparable forms of art. The aspects I want to focus on and the properties I'll discuss therein are the following. I want to focus on the visual and, physical, sorry, visual and physical aspects of wrestling and talk about the beauty and meaning that can be seen there. I want to talk about the narrative and dramatic aspects and the meaning and significance within those, the complexity of the fictional aspect and the layers, the various layers of engagement and appreciation that are possible from the audience fan point of view, so focusing on the appreciative aspect there. Now I'm not going to here take a stance on which theory of art's definition we should have if we want to think of wrestling as art. The thought is that if I can show that there are aesthetic properties that wrestling shares with other art forms and that it's you know, sufficient to allow us to think of it as an artistic practice, then whether you like a cluster theory or a, a narrative theory, I don't mind. You know, that, I think that there are probably a number of theories uh, whereby, you know, that, that would, whereby you could recognise wrestling as art if what I say is true. Um, just one final point before I launch in there. Some people might be wondering at this point what's actually at stake here. Why does it matter whether we call pro wrestling art or not? Maybe it doesn't, uh, but here are a couple of thoughts about that. Um, firstly, 
understanding the phenomenon fully, which is what it is to recognise it as art, enables better appreciation. By, by better, I mean more appropriate appreciation and proper criticism of it as a practice. So I'm reaching here towards the kind of Waltonian thought that in order to assess or evaluate something properly, you need to know what category it's in. You need to be able to, um, you need to be perceiving it in the right way. So the thought is that appropriate and suitable critical evaluation depends upon proper cat categorization and to be able to give wrestling the evaluation it warrants requires us to recognize that it has artistic elements at the very least. It might require us to recognize that it is a particular type of art form. Second, just the second point there, art recognition and proper criticism can in turn themselves lead to improvements in the art form. So I'm thinking here about how it's gone with video games, for example. You know, that's another sort of fairly recent discussion of an X, whether, you know, whether X is art, with video games being the X. Um, in the last couple of decades, there's been much discussion about that. And there is, uh, by now, there's a sort of standing view that some wrestling, some, some, sorry, some video games are indeed art. And I think that discussion, that, you know, the existence of that discussion and the recognition of the artistic uh, properties or potential of video games has partly contributed to us having some of the more sophisticated and artistic video games that we have now. So I think this, you know, this recognition and this kind of critical discussion can also have a positive effect by feeding into the practice. So those are just a couple of thoughts why it might matter. So, um, so I'll begin with the actual making the case. There's one thing to get out of the way at the start, though. Um, but you know it's fake, right? This is the most common reaction to a confession that you follow pro wrestling. It's the question every wrestling fan is asked. The one thing everyone knows about pro wrestling, especially those that don't watch it, is that it's fake. So this point tends to be loaded with the implication that because it's fake, pro wrestling's not to be taken seriously. It can't really be seriously appreciated. So the questioner may often seem pitying of you if you're claiming that you enjoy wrestling, if you're suggesting that there's something good about it, then perhaps you haven't quite caught on that it's not real. Perhaps you're in some state of confusion. And this is the point where an eye roll is in order. Um, when I looked for an image for this, I googled condescending man, because you know, in my experience, <laughs> it has been sort of slightly condescending men who said to me, you know, it's fake, right? Um, so to deal with this fakeness claim, the idea that wrestling can't be seriously appreciated because it's fake, let's first note that the same could be said of the plays we go to see, the movies we watch, and the novels we read. They're all fake too in the sense that the events they depict didn't actually happen, or at least not in the way that we're shown them in the novel, film, or drama. But no one declares novels or films to be not worth bothering with because their events aren't real. No one walks out in disgust from a film or play because the people on stage are just pretending to do stuff and they're just saying things that someone already wrote for them to say. Now the wrestling skeptic, that's this guy, um, he'll respond that there's a difference between this and the fakeness that's being alleged of pro wrestling though. Novels, plays and films aren't so much fake as fictional, they'll say. You know, fiction being a mode of representation or a genre <laughs> that, we're that we implicitly grasp and that we enjoy for a variety of reasons 
that posit no requirement for its representations to be of actual world events. Wrestling, though, isn't fictional like this, they might say. The reason it deserves the adjective fake is because it's presenting as a competitive sport, and yet the outcomes of its matches are predetermined and its in-ring moves are to some degree choreographed. Well, those latter points are true. Pro wrestling is, in the widely used parlance, scripted. In-ring wrestling bouts are planned, loosely choreographed, and perhaps rehearsed. Furthermore, the trajectory of each wrestler character through his or her various matches, the story of who wins, who loses, who becomes champion, who remains contender, those trajectories are planned and written by a team of creatives. The promos that wrestlers perform live in the ring or record behind the scenes are scripted. This much is all true. But this would only be a problem if it were deceitful, if pro wrestling were indeed presenting itself as competitive sport while scripting its outcomes. But this is not the case, at least not any longer. There's some discussion as to whether it was ever the case in the sort of early days of wrestling and its emergence from basically carnival and sideshow and so on. Uh, but I don't really want to explore the, the history of that here. Today, pro wrestling does not in fact present itself as pure sport and moreover, it makes it abundantly clear that it does not. So clear, in fact, that it's perennially surprising that wrestling skeptics should get it so wrong. For one thing, wrestlers are openly referred to as characters or actors. The acting that they enact is invariably delivered in an over-the-top hammy or camp style that leaves no one in any doubt that what they're watching is scripted. Anyone who even just scratches the surface of pro wrestling grasps immediately that there is indeed a fictional world operating here, a world whose events are presented to us in the fictive mode, that is, with the intention that we adopt a fictive stance towards them. We're not watching a real sport. We're not watching competitors actually engaged in conflict. We're watching the fictional representation of conflict. That point's very important to me, by the way. I don't what follow boxing or mixed martial arts or any of these actual combat sports. I don't actually like watching people really tear each other apart or <laughs> smack the daylights out of each other. The representation of conflict is what makes it, is partly what makes it attractive in my view. It's perhaps only small children who would think it's real, the same children who might think Santa Claus is real. I'll be saying a lot more on this fictional aspect later, but for now, suffice to say that wrestling audiences are not deluded about what they're engaging with. Nonetheless, while it's understood that this is not real sport, the sports part of the label sports entertainment is still apt. While the sports aspect is not the pure competitive sport of, say, boxing or competitive amateur wrestling, the physicality of the phenomenon nonetheless grants its sports status. The in-ring stars of pro wrestling are entertainers, but they're also undoubtedly athletes. Most of them are extremely fit, highly trained and disciplined, and they put their bodies through the most physical trials imaginable. <clears throat> So pro wrestling is not a deceitfully fake sport. It's a scripted athletic mode of storytelling, featuring a fictional world in which characters get into conflicts and even long-running feuds with one another, who compete for titles and who enact predetermined fighting bouts that are semi-choreographed, but no less physical or athletic or skillful for having been designed. So fake is an inappropriate label. So with that out of the way, Let's see why this athletic mode of storytelling might be art. 
Um, so first of all, I'm going to talk about the, as I said, the visual and physical aspect, and I'm going to start with the moves, okay? Because in its physical aspect, one focus of wrestling is naturally what goes on in the ring. In the wrestling bouts, wrestlers perform moves on each other. While these moves have the function of representing combat, they're also often aesthetically pleasing and are designed to be so. Some moves are just beautiful to watch, as is true in many actual sports. Though in the case of real sports, the beauty of a move tends to be incidental to its function and its intended effect. The beauty in wrestling moves is part of the function of representing combat in an artistic, athletic manner. It's perhaps therefore more comparable to the beauty inherent in dance movements, where representation, expression and beauty combine. So I wanted to show a couple of examples. So this is where I really hope that the GIFs will work. Uh, yes, okay, good. Right, this is the spear as performed by Roman Reigns. Um, now the spear is the finishing move. Like, so wrestlers have a move set usually and some of them, they have signature moves. And this signature move, this spear, is the finishing move of Roman Reigns. So it's the one that he usually end, defeats his opponent with. Um, I mean, from this angle, you're just seeing it, you know, what it's like to see a spear coming at you. This is a 300-pound man that's being taken down here. Um, the spear, as I say, so Ro Roman Reigns finishes all of his matches with a spear. It can be hit and miss, so sometimes it's a rather clumsy one. Sometimes the legs will be flailing all over the place and it just doesn't come off right. Sometimes, you know, if the conditions are right, it's a beautiful thing to see. You know, to see this large, sort of 265-pound man leaping across the ring at another sort of 300-pound man in a way that's, you know, we, we see the sort of body in motion in a beautiful way. Um, another example, this is the Sling Blade, which is a move performed by many wrestlers, but here it's Finn Balor who's doing it. So, quite simple, but there's a kind of elegance to it. I love a Sling Blade when I'm watching wrestling. <laughs> if, I, if I see Finn Balor lining up, I think Sling Blade, and you know, it, gets, it, it gets carried out, and if it's, if it's done well, again, it's, sort of, it's, it's just a beautiful thing to see. Um, another couple of examples. Uh, one of my favourite female wrestlers here, Charlotte Flair, doing one of her amazing corkscrew moonsaults. I mean, this is just clearly, you know, acrobatic and athletic. Uh, this is a very tall person, so the fact that she can pull this off so nicely, it's really something to see. And similarly, this one's perhaps not so much elegant and beautiful. There's an aspect of the danger of it adding something. Um, it's, there's a sort of catharsis, I suppose, to seeing this move pulled off well, because every single time he does that, it looks like he's going to break his neck. It looks like he's not going to make it. You know, he's not going to be able to pull it off. Um, and, you know, you see Jeff Hardy climb up to the top rope, and you know the Swanton Bomb is coming, and your heart is in your mouth until he lands. Um, you know, he sometimes does that from the top of a ladder as well, which is even more frightening. So, wrestling moves, I'm saying, you know, they can just sometimes be beautiful. There's moments of beauty there. But they don't only have the capacity to be beautiful, they can also bear meaning. So the, the moves themselves in, the, in, the, in this physical action, there can be meaning. Already representational and expressive, 
They can also be layered with significance that's derived from their place in the narrative or the drama within which they're enacted. Again, an example is probably best to illustrate. So in this example, we're going to see Dean Ambrose performing a curb stomp on Seth Rollins. Um, now, the, the, the picture I showed at first when I said this is the kind of stuff I'm talking about, that, that picture was Seth Rollins doing a curb stomp. The move is Seth Rollins' signature finishing move, or it used to be before it was banned because apparently kids in playgrounds were doing it and they all got very nervous. And the CEO of the WWE had to tell this wrestler that he had to find a new finishing move. Um, so the curb stomp is a move that's, that's Seth Rollins' move. We see it being done to Seth Rollins by Dean Ambrose in this case. Um, and I'll just play it once for now and then. Now, without knowing the drama, the background there, it you know, probably doesn't look much. But this is not simply an irony-laden move in that Seth Rollins' finisher is being used against him. It's also laden with a poignancy that comes from the history of these two characters. So these two characters were once the closest of brothers in, in the sort of, you know, being a team sense along with another character. They were the closest of brothers up until the moment of betrayal by Seth Rollins of Dean Ambrose and the other character. Um, you know, this awful, it was one of the most famous moments in, in wrestling, the heel turn of Seth Rollins where he betrayed his brothers. Um, and subsequently, these two characters were then protagonists locked into a lengthy, angst-ridden, revenge-driven feud that mostly saw Ambrose, who's the good guy because he's the non-betrayer, mostly saw him in the role of the loser. But in this match, finally, we reach a moment of retribution. Seth Rollins gets what he deserves, and you know, Dean Ambrose finally has some measure of revenge, and the audience gets to see this revenge being carried out, or this retributive moment, and it's all captured and embodied in that sort of poetic climax of this finishing move. I mean, the fact that he, you know, this is, heartbreaking. You know, the fact that he kisses him on the head before he delivers this move, is, there's so much uh, significance there. So, okay, all of those um, examples are aiming to show that in its physical aspects, specifically in its moves, pro wrestling can exhibit the beauty seen in other physical performance arts, such as dance performances, and moreover, some moves can be bound up with the narrative dramatic aspect in such a way that they come to bear meaning in the sense of poetic or dramatic significance. There are also other aesthetically pleasing aspects, uh, visual aspects to wrestling, apart from the moves within the bounce themselves. Because there's much more that goes into the complete spectacle of a wrestling show over and above what happens in the ring. There are the costumes, the gimmicks, the entrances, for instance. Each wrestler each wrestler character has his or her own theme by which um, he or she is introduced. Uh, as well as having a visual and audible impact, these themes can also serve to heighten the dramatic atmosphere by announcing the arrival of a wrestler at a surprise moment. So, savvy audiences are able to identify a wrestler's theme on hearing the first few notes or the first sound of it, and the audience will instantly pop if that wrestler's appearance is unexpected. So pop just means, you know, sort of react, jump out of their seats, whatever. Even when just being used standardly to accompany the announced, 
entrance of a wrestler, some of the themes themselves constitute artistic performances. So there are lots and lots of examples I could have shown, but I didn't want to sort of, you know, film my talking time with just looking at videos of wrestlers entering, um, although that's something I like to do. Um, And just to show another sort of brief gif of another kind of example, uh, some wrestlers also strike aesthetically pleasing poses as part of their entrance routine. So um, here we have the wrestler Randy Orton. Um, he walks in. He doesn't walk into much fuss. I mean, there's, you know, there's a musical theme as he walks in. He gets into the ring. He climbs up on the ropes, uh, as most of them do, in order to sort of you know, interact with the audience. And he throws this pose, which is incredibly simple. But there's something incredibly classical about it. Um, I mean, this is like something you see in Greco-Roman statuary, so it's, uh, again, a sort of a little moment of beauty. There are also many visual tropes in wrestling, and by tropes I mean the kind of thing that uh, we mean when we talk about sort of literary devices. Um, I mean conventions that a writer can reasonably rely on as being present in the audience's minds and in their expectations, such that presenting them brings about a moment of satisfying recognition. Some moves themselves can be tropes. When a certain wrestler, for instance, climbs up onto the top rope, the audience will recognise what's coming, you know, some kind of finishing move, say, and they'll roar with anticipation. Other tropes might be prop-based. The appearance of a folding table, for example, will be, that, that's going to be set up so that an opponent can be put through it, only to result inevitably in a reversal where the setter-up of the table is instead the victim who's smashed through the table. That's like wrestling law. Um, audiences impatient for the appearance of, a, of, of this tropic prop will often begin chanting, we want tables. <laughs> Indeed, audience chants themselves can be classed as physical tropes. Chants of this is awesome, which was in my title, most, probably the most common wrestling chant. Um, you deserve it and various, various other chants. These all erupt from the crowd at appropriate moments, and they're given their own spotlight, as it were. You know, they're, they're usually given a moment. The, the in-ring actors will let the chants, you know, will sort of let them bloom, as it were. So tables, chairs, ladders, opponents being bombed through the announcer's table, particularly the Spanish one, these are all well-known visual tropes that audiences look out for. So there's much in the visual or physical aspect of wrestling that bears aesthetic value, whether it's in terms of beauty or in terms of poetic meaning. I'm going to move on now to talk about the next aspect I wanted to focus on, which is the dramatic and narrative aspects. So in the wrestling ring, and also outside of it, stories are told. Individual fighting bouts are set within broader contexts of ongoing feuds or series in which the fighting bouts are connected and fleshed out and enhanced by promos, which is promotional short videos made by the wrestler characters in which they might speak to camera about the grievances they have with respect to their enemies or the strategies they have for overcoming their nemeses. Or alternatively, they might be fly-on-the-wall recordings of groups of wrestler characters behind the scenes discussing their situations. So the stories extend beyond the confines of the ring and beyond the duration of the matches. In other words, this is sort of long-form storytelling. And given this long-form storytelling, we might want to say that wrestling then is comparable to soap opera. 
As mentioned earlier, it's often been called soap opera for men. It presents ongoing stories of the various individual wrestlers attempting to make their way up in the world, in the world of wrestling. Their fates rising and falling, with feuds emerging, developing, and working to their conclusions. The drama is admittedly simplistic in its basic outlines. It's good versus evil, or in wrestling terms, baby faces or faces versus heels. With reversals where characters who start off good turn bad, that's the heel turn, and quest plots where characters are fighting their way up from obscurity to championship, etc. These stories are told over and over again. While these kinds of storylines make wrestling pretty simplistic in plot terms, more so than soap opera and certainly more so than serious drama, the additional factor that renders pro wrestling, the pro wrestling narrative form different is in the manner in which it's told or rather shown. It's played out on a vast live stage before thousands of spectators and it's tailored to this setting. Okay, again, it's WWE I'm thinking of. It's not all wrestling that happens before thousands of spectators. Sometimes it's 50 people in a shed, you know, but <laughs> as I say, I'm talking about the WWE kind of as a paradigm. So it's tailored to this setting, and this is what brings it perhaps closer to ancient Greek drama, or to use the terminology preferred by Roland Barthes, a form of spectacle. In his essay, ostensibly about the world of Paris' wrestling halls in the 1950s, but just as applicable to the wrestling of today, Bart was primarily concerned to highlight the signs operative in wrestling. But he made a number of interesting, accurate claims about its artistic nature and significance. So first he identifies it as a spectacle, a particular form of drama that operates via grand gestures to convey profoundly human themes such as the existence of suffering. I feel like I have to say to the recording, I'm just letting people read the quotes. So understanding wrestling as this specific type of narrative drama, understanding it as spectacle, is crucial as it makes us reevaluate what we may have first thought was an unsophisticated, hammy level of dramatic acting. Wrestlers might appear to be poor actors overdoing things by some way to the point of being cringeworthy, until we realise that their art is the art of spectacle, not ordinary drama. Um, Wrestling, Bart says, derives its originality from all the excesses which make it a spectacle and not a sport. So here he talks about wrestling presenting man's suffering with all the amplification of tragic masks and you know, the wrestler who suffers in a hold which is reputedly cruel, such as an arm lock or a twisted leg, he offers an excessive portrayal of suffering. Like a primitive pieta, he exhibits for all to see his face exaggeratedly contorted by an intolerable affliction. So this isn't overacting. This is deliberate, you know, uh, excessive gesture in the manner of spectacle. And Bart is likening this grandiloquence to that of ancient theatre. In addition to emphasising the manner in which wrestling tells its stories via the exaggerated signs of spectacle, Bart also identifies its core dramatic theme, which is that of justice. 
What wrestling is above all meant to portray, he says, is a purely moral concept, that of justice. For a wrestling fan, nothing is finer than the revengeful fury of a betrayed fighter who throws himself vehemently, not on a successful opponent, but on the smarting image of foul play. Naturally, it's the pattern of justice which matters here much more than its content. Wrestling is above all a quantitative sequence of compensations. This explains why sudden changes of circumstances have, in the eyes of wrestling habitués, a sort of moral beauty. They enjoy them as they would enjoy an inspired episode in a novel. Wrestling fans certainly experience a kind of intellectual pleasure in seeing the moral mechanism function so perfectly. So these claims from Bart of wrestling being about justice are often echoed by others. They're echoed, for example, in the by the wrestler who's the subject of Tim Grant's film essay that I mentioned earlier, Babyface Cauliflower Brown. He discloses, and I quote, there's a story that gets told in wrestling about how things ought to be. It's a story about getting the redemption we deserve. That's a story that every form of art and every type of storytelling has tried to tell. So in its dramatic aspects then, pro wrestling has much in common with ancient forms of storytelling art revealing to us a drama of justice and injustice, suffering and pain. The manner in which it does so is that of a tradition that precedes modern forms of dramatic storytelling, one in which exaggerated signs make clear to us in the moment the significance of what the characters are going through and allow us to experience a world where pain and suffering exists but where justice can be lived, if only vicariously. So, so far then, we've seen that in the physical, visual, in, and in the narrative dramatic aspects of wrestling can be found aesthetic properties which, that are appreciated in other established art forms and that are presented perhaps in a unique manner in wrestling. The existence of these properties alone gives us pro tanto reasons for calling wrestling art, but there are further layers to pro wrestling that give us extra reason. So I'm going to move on now to look at the fictional aspect and then finally look at the layers of engagement and appreciation. The fictional status of wrestling is something that needs, it's another aspect that needs to be correctly understood if we're to appreciate the phenomenon in the way it warrants. Now the fictional aspect of wrestling, I still haven't quite got my head around all of it. Um, I actually think that there's a whole other paper one can write about the fiction of wrestling because it's a different kind of fictional world. Um, and I think there's a lot to say on it, which I'm not saying here. I'm just sort of trying to describe uh, some aspects of the fictional world. But I think there's a lot more to say. I hope to do a bit more work on, on the fictional aspects. Um, it's already been made clear that it's an error to see wrestling as fake as a fake something rather than as a form of fiction. But the fiction here differs in important ways from other fictions we're familiar with. Perhaps the most important thing is that the, the distance that is usually present between ourselves and the fiction when we engage with, say, novels, films, and plays is vastly reduced when it comes to wrestling. Okay, that distance is reduced. Even when compared with its closest neighboring fictional form, theater, there's a notable difference. In theatre, we also watch actors perform before us, but traditionally, we ourselves are not part of the performance. We are behind the so-called fourth wall. 
In wrestling, things are different. We are both, we, well, we are the spectators, both within and without the fiction. Um, Tim Cale, who I mentioned before, has described this fictional setup aptly, I think, as no wall theatre. So there's a quote from Tim Cale. Pro wrestling has no walls to begin with. It is no wall theatre, a category of performance art that strives to mimic reality so thoroughly that it removes all appearance of artifice. It's quite striking that this description can hold, given what we've said about the exaggerated, spectacular nature of the storytelling. On the one hand, such spectacle surely screams artifice, and yet here we are talking about the removal of artifice. But let's remember that at its heart, the fundamental conceit of the fiction of wrestling is that the in-ring theatrics are real, that they're legitimate. Whether in the wrestling hall or arena or watching on television, the role played by the audience is that of both audience of the fictional phenomena of wrestling and audience of the real combative competition, that's fictionally real, of course, that's unfolding before us. So a bit more from Tim Cale here to illustrate what I mean there. Imagine a play that's taking place not on a stage, but in the actual location described in the script, and the audience are simultaneously characters in the play they're observing. They are the fight's audience. That's no wall theatre, and that's what pro wrestling is doing. So I think this is a, absolutely spot on with, with, with respect to that closing of the distance between the person engaging with the fiction and the work of fiction. Um, Tim Cale thinks that it's this art, in the sense of crafted artifice, that makes wrestling art, in the sense of having art form status. And he discusses at some length how this art nature emerged as wrestling, as pro wrestling evolved out of its carnival beginnings, out of its sort of step right up days of carnival promoters manipulating a gullible audience. Um, over time, it developed the narrative and theatrical techniques that have come to establish it as a kind of near-perfect simulation of sport. Um, the ring, so some of the things that contribute to this near-perfect simulation, and I'm quoting from Tim Cale again here, the ring, the fact that the performers are called wrestlers, the presence of commentators, and the setting all exist to reinforce the illusion that the audience is witnessing what those things say, a fight. So all of this enables wrestling to present its fiction well, and it induces the audience to look past the obvious theatrics, and in Tim Cale's words, to suspend their disbelief and arrive at a place of catharsis, or as I've described it, the moment of pop. That this is possible alongside and despite the fact that the drama of wrestling is one told through spectacular exaggerated gestures and signs, say something about the sophistication of the fiction and of the audience's engagement. We're simultaneously aware of the overt exaggeration of the spectacle and yet also able to take up a role in the fiction ourselves, take up a perspective of no distance between us and the work. It's true that the suspension of disbelief, as Cale refers to it, or the phenomenon of there being no distance, is temporary and perhaps fleeting. 
The moment of pop is just a moment, after all, though it might be a consuming one. As has been made clear, no one apart from small children really believes that what they're watching is real. And half of the enjoyment to be had from wrestling is in appreciating the work as a work, a work of fiction. So audiences essentially slide in and out of the fiction, or if you prefer, they slide along the distance scale as they watch. At one moment, enjoying the fiction, and sorry, at one moment, enjoying the action within the fiction and having you know, that moment of pop, while at the next moment, stepping outside of it to immediately reflect upon it. This unique and particular application of fictionality makes wrestling a truly innovative form of fiction and theater. So talk of reflection brings us finally to consider more the levels of engagement and appreciation that are operative in the fans' interaction with wrestling. I've said that pro wrestling is highly audience interactive, indeed to the extent that the audience even becomes part of the fiction. At the most simple level in the arena, this interaction is manifested in the vocal encouragement and sometimes rejection offered by the audience or the so-called WWE universe, as they're known in that promotion. They're actually called the universe. When, when a wrestler goes into the crowd, the commentators say, he's gone into the universe. <laughs> the language is, uh, is quite interesting. Um, so fans cheer, they boo, they chant, they hold up homemade signs that express their thoughts and feelings about the in-ring actors. The wrestlers in turn, play, in return, play up to the audience, encouraging the chants and cheers. Home audiences, meanwhile, aren't able to interact live in the same way, but will nonetheless react in an immediate way to the antics in the ring. So this is one level of, of appreciation. It's the level of appreciating the fictionally real fight. But the interaction and the appreciation also goes beyond that and deeper. The fandom of pro wrestling is an extremely active one, producing a plethora of discussions, criticism, and analyses of the events that take place in the ring. Most of this nowadays occurs online, whether on YouTube, on dedicated wrestling discussion channels such as What Culture Wrestling, on discussion boards and blogs, or on social media sites like Twitter and Tumblr. What's notable about this discussion and analysis is that it's not confined to discussing what fictionally happened in the ring, but also perhaps predominantly concerned with speculating about how things are and how they'll develop from the meta perspective. So fans critically discuss the trajectories of characters, whether, so for example, whether the development of a character is being played out appropriately or not. They'll discuss the development of story arcs and the potential strategies being employed by the creatives on the show, so those who are scripting it. So in other words, they're critiquing the scripting. This level of critical appreciation, I think, lends pro wrestling a more serious engagement aspect. It's more than mere entertainment. When critiquing the story of wrestling from outside of the fiction, the criticism fans are producing is similar to other forms of literary or pop culture criticism. We can, for instance, compare this sort of metacritical activity of the serious wrestling fan to that of the pop culture critic who offers analyses of, say, television drama or soap opera. Analyses that take apart the way in which a character or storyline is developed, and in the case of long-running soap operas, might identify the way in which a storyline or event refers back to or brings to mind something from that art form's history. 
So all that kind of stuff goes on in wrestling criticism too. Kind of side note, it's also possible that some of this criticism carried out as it is through open access media actually has an effect on the future wrestling stories. There's much speculation over the extent to which fan commentary and criticism might be shaping the decisions made by the creatives over how stories are scripted. Now, it's not an easy matter to know one way or the other whether this is really happening. But if it is, this evidence is another level of interaction between audience and work or product. But whether or not it's being acted upon by the wrestling writers, it's fair to say that some of the critical activity of wrestling appreciators is carried out at a level comparable to the professional criticism engaged in by literary and film critics. It seeks to highlight the significant value to be had in appreciating the complex levels of engagement that wrestling offers. From the sheer pop of enjoyment at the sight of a great move well executed or the appearance of an anticipated wrestler onto the scene, through to the moments of catharsis-like satisfaction as a profoundly human and deeply resonant moral theme reaches its climax, to the intellectual ponderings over the workings of this surprisingly intriguing fictional world. All in all, there's a cerebral aspect to engaging with pro wrestling. It can be appreciated on many levels and for its different aspects. At its deepest level, it has as much to offer as other pop culture phenomena with which critics engage whose potential for critical engagement lifts them above being mere entertainment. So taking into account all of the aspects of wrestling that I've considered and the potential within those for wrestling to provide moments of beauty, dramatic representation of themes of moral significance, moments of catharsis-like satisfaction, and opportunities for <coughs> complex critical appreciation, I want to claim that this complex form of global entertainment displays sufficient characteristics found in established art forms, such as literary drama, fiction, and dance. And it does so to the extent that it should be recognized as having art status of its own. Um, a couple of ifs and buts to finish. I'll do a, a but first. <sighs> Isn't pro wrestling coarse and sexist and racist? And uh, Yes, 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 it's all of those things. It can be, it has been. Uh, Today, much less so, thankfully. Um, I certainly don't think I could have become interested in wrestling even as little as sort of 15 years ago. Uh, the blatant sort of lewd sexism of it would have very much put me off. In the present day, it's, you know, it's very different than it was in the 1990s or early 2000s, say. Um, it's still, of course, you know, there is, there is still criticism one can make there about the uh, gender equality and about the representation of minorities and so on, in the same way that we can make those complaints about any form of you know, contemporary art um, and certainly performance-based dra dra dramatic narrative art. So it can be those things. Um, and my claim is, of course, not that wrestling is always art, but that it can be. Uh, so at its best, it can be art. But yes, um, all wrestling fans recognise that there are many things wrong with the, with the practice and certainly in the history of the practice. Um, another question that I haven't really got around to giving much thought to is, uh, and, and even to whether it's actually, actually an important question or not, um, 
is if pro wrestling is an art, if you know, if, if people are prepared to accept that it's an art, then is is you know what kind of art form is it? How should we think of it? Um, I've said that it shares features with uh, with drama, with theatre, with also with ancient forms of drama, um, but it's also you know it's it's legitimately labelled sport. I mean, it has a sport aspect to it. Um, it's gym, you know it, it involves gymnastics and acrobatics. So. You know, should we think of it as some kind of hybrid of theatre and sport, or theatre and acrobatics, theatre and gymnastics? Um, I'm not sure whether a hybrid option is the best option to take. Uh, it, I think it's... With hybrid art forms, um, the thought is usually that something emerges, uh, you know, sort of develops as a kind of... Like, an, like the offspring of two other art forms. Um, that doesn't seem to be the right picture here with wrestling. Um, perhaps it's better to think of wrestling as primarily a form of theatre, but a unique and innovative form of theatre that you know, has its roots in sideshow or carnival and has similarities with ancient spectacle. It also draws from real wrestling and it's also... You know, along with all of that, there's, the, there's input from social media technology. Um, as I say, wrestling isn't just about what happens in the ring, it's this whole storytelling that goes on outside of the ring as well. And much of that makes use of social media technology. So, you know, wrestlers tweeting character and stuff, and you know, sort of engage in Twitter battles with each other and things like that. So you have the social media element brought in there as well. So I'm not sure if that's a very important question to settle. Um, I think my tendency would be to think of it as a unique form of theatre, uh, rather than try to think of it as, uh, rather than think of it as legitimately being a sort of hybrid of other art forms. It's hard to see, you know, like mu an example of a hybrid art form is musical theatre, say, and that's an obvious case where you've got music, you've got theatre, you've put them both together, and you've got musical theatre. Um, wrestling doesn't seem to be hybrid in that sense, uh, so I think it's probably more properly thought of as a unique form of theatre that's very physical. So um, that's pretty much everything I wanted to say. Are we roughly at time? Or? Five minutes if you wish to take um, Well, I haven't got anything else to say. That's my, that's my case sort of presented. and. I'm ready for questions if you want. Great, thanks. thanks.